This episode of the Top Music Guitar Podcast is proudly supported by our sponsors, Music Notes. You're listening to the Top Music Guitar Podcast, the show for guitar teachers to learn about the craft of teaching great guitar lessons that students love. If you're looking to start or expand your studio and make guitar teaching your full-time dream job, you've come to the right place. Each week, you'll get to hear from some of the top guitar teachers from around the globe and get their best tips and experiences so that you too can build your own dream studio. I'm your host, Michael, and I've founded one of the top guitar schools in Australia, written a best-selling curriculum, and I mentor guitar teachers. I'm excited to share my expertise with you and the wisdom of all the experts we interview. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Top Music Guitar Podcast. With me today, I've got a real treat and a very, very special guest, a great friend of mine who I've known pretty much for most of my adult life and guitar playing life. He was someone I met on the very first day of university and have been great friends with ever since. And that is Simon Edgel, or as everyone knows him as Simo. Simo, welcome to the podcast. G'day, Michael. Thanks for having me. It's a tremendous honor to be here. <laughs> so yeah, it's great to have you on the podcast finally. Um, Simo has been, as I said, a really good friend, someone I've played in bands with who I've studied alongside, uh, who went on well, one hell of a, a USA trip with back in 2015, right before I started my business. And, uh, you know, have always you know, loved hanging out. We refer to him collectively as the dude as well. And um, yeah, anyone who's met Simo, and I'm sure some of the listeners have, you know, knows exactly what we're talking about here. And, uh, you know, I've got my Aussie accent engaged right now, <laughs> as tends to happen when we start talking with each other. So yeah, there'll be lots of interesting language and, you know, Simo's a barrel of laughs. Uh, always great to have a, a good time with and one hell of a guitar player to boot. So, um, you know, someone who was almost like a, a bit of a big brother figure to me. I think uh, you would have been 22, 23, a couple of years ahead of us when we started at university. Was that right? Yeah. Uh, I think I was um, just shy of my 22nd birthday starting university. So, yeah, I, I care not to um, tell the listeners how old I am now, but it was it was a little while ago. <laughs> yeah, a little while ago indeed. Yeah, but um, you're too kind. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, certainly been a bit of a journey together. But uh, yeah, I've uh, loved every minute of it, and um, definitely uh, appreciated our friendship and um, all the experiences and things we've had along the way. Yeah, so yeah, it's been it's been awesome, man. But um, yeah, really glad to be here today, and. Um, Look forward to our discussion. Yeah, so we've got some really cool stuff planned for you. Um, and, of course, Simo, just to mention for all the top music people, did the uh, 12-week uh, How to Make a Full-Time Income course, and I think he did quite well. I think you basically doubled the amount of students you had and more than doubled the amount of income you had in that 12-month period. Was that correct? I did. Absolutely, that's correct, yes. I most certainly achieved what that 12-week course set out to do. Um, and in fact, I probably achieved more than what I thought that would do. So yeah, I definitely got the full-time wage by the end of it, teaching part-time hours. And, um, in fact, I probably got more than that. So yeah, couldn't recommend that 12 week course enough. Um, if you're a top music, uh, member and you haven't done that course, 
you're 12 weeks away from full-time wage, part-time hours. It's as simple yeah. as that. <laughs> it's, yeah. good, it's good mathematics as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and it's a lot easier than what most people think. And, you know, I throw numbers like, you know, $100,000 around quite casually. Uh, once upon a time, I thought that was completely unattainable. But, you know, it's it actually quite easy to do. And I know Simo is well on his way towards the, the next target, which isn't just a full-time income, but, you know, a bit of a life of luxury in that six-figure target. But the reason I've invited Simo on, because he has a particular area of expertise and that is the fact that for as long as I've known him he's always worked at a music shop up until very very recently uh, we had a really big chain in Australia called Billy Hyde's Music at one point in time and then became an even bigger chain when it partnered with uh, the other big chain Alan's Music for Alan's Billy Hyde and uh, Simo's sort of always been in the flag star, uh, flagship store there uh, down at Blackburn and then getting moved around to a few various points including the original location and my first store where I bought my very first guitar uh, when it turned into GH Music Music. So Simo's always heavily involved in, in music retail and being a teacher and a, a great player and a music retailer, he's got some great inside knowledge of ways you can uh, negotiate better deals for your students or even yourself for uh, educating your parents and students on the benefits of you know, purchasing really good equipment. And I'm sure a wealth of other you know, great little insights and tidbits and maybe even some cool stories that we, we don't always get to hear about from you know, the retail world there. So Simo, why don't you just uh, in your own words, give us a, a bit of a background about your guitar playing journey so far? Yeah, sure. So um, ironically, um, I've nearly been working in music shops as long as I've been playing guitar sort of try to keep this reasonably brief, but I'll start at the start. So I was roughly just shy of my 15th birthday, saw my cousin playing guitar and I thought, wow, that looks pretty cool. I'm going to, I'm pretty excited to be having a go at that. And my parents bought me a guitar for my 15th birthday. Shortly in, in year 10, I did work experience at school and the one place that I thought I'd do work experience that I would love to do work experience at was the local music store. So I grew up in a country New South Wales town uh, called Wagga Wagga, New South Wales. Shout out to Wagga Wagga in the Riverina area. So yeah, I, um, I started as a guitar player at 15. I was obsessed with it like most teenagers are when they find out about guitar and rock music and things like that. And uh, yeah, so um, essentially I'm going to sort of incorporate my retail history at the same time as my musical history here, just to sort of save on some time. But yeah, so I did work experience at the local music shop. Shout out to Allison Music in Wagga, Dale Allison, fantastic bloke, and uh, gave me an opportunity which probably changed my life. Yes, I did work experience for a week. Uh, I did more than just cut up the boxes. I actually had a go at selling a pedal to a customer, and I did that. And at the end of my week of work experience, Dale said, do you want a job? I said, absolutely. So it took a little while for an opening to come up, but I was at the top of his list. And uh, yeah, essentially I started working in music retail, Thursday night, late night trade. And from there, I uh, started playing in cover bands around Wagga when I was 18, old enough to play at pubs. And I sort of had a bit of a desire to be a better musician than just a cover band player. Um, and I met, uh, I, I started getting lessons from probably the most influential teacher I've ever had, a uh, gentleman by the name of Damien Evans, probably still the smartest bloke I know about music theory and quite honestly, one of the best musicians I've ever seen plays a bass player, but he actually started learning guitar to be able to teach me 
about jazz theory and whatever in the in the event that I would go and audition to uh, get a spot at um, uh, you know at a university doing a bachelor of music, where I happened to meet a gentleman by the name of Michael Gumley, um, <laughs> who needs no introduction. But uh, yeah, so um, my time in Wagga led me down to Melbourne, where I studied a bachelor of music. Uh, with Michael, as we mentioned in the top of the intro. Uh, at this point in time, I obviously left my job at the music shop in Wagga. And when I moved down to Melbourne, my boss in Wagga, Dale, actually, um, well, at that point, um, he was actually sort of like a, a franchise. I use the inverted commas there for the people who can't see me, but he uh, had an opportunity to be sort of bannered under the Billy Hyde brand, but he was still his own um, business. Going down to Melbourne, I asked Dale if, you know, he knew anyone and he kind of put in a good word for me with the manager of the time at Blackburn um, location of Billy Hyde's music store, which was definitely the biggest music instrument retail chain. I think it was something like 27 stores around the country. Yeah, he put in a good word for me there and um, within my sort of first week of moving down to Melbourne of university study, I had a job working back in music stores, um, which was great because I got to meet some, uh, some, some local musos and also, um, yeah, ha- having a job at university is a good thing. <laughs> anyway, from there I've um, finished uni and kind of went on to do a few more things in the musical instrument retail space, worked in wholesale for a little while. Um, but essentially I've been yeah, music retail, yeah, close. Enough, I think it was pretty close to 20 years before I sort of stopped working in retail and started, uh, you know, doing my music school full time. But, um, yeah, I actually was thinking about this this morning before we had a chat and I worked in a pizza shop. As a teenager, I did like maybe six months working for my dad, doing some data entry stuff, and I did maybe a few months working in a call center. Aside from that, I've always been involved in music retail, whether it be instrument stores. I did CD shops for a little while too when I was a teenager, but um, but predominantly music instrument retail. So I've certainly seen a lot of things, learned a lot of things, heard a lot of things, met a lot of great people, um, customers, and um, colleagues. Um, yeah. And, uh, here I am today teaching in my music school, teaching guitar and uh, loving every minute of it. Yeah. And it seemed like, you know, the businesses you're involved in just seem to have like, um, bad occurrence or bad mismanagement or, you know, shut down, got bought out, shut bought, down, bought out. There's just a misfortune after misfortune. You always ended up in, in the new version or the new iteration or at the, the next store as it was saved and they sort of cut back certain staff but kept on the essentials. So you always seem to be at the right place at the right time in, in terms of that transition through the corporate world. Yeah, look, um, luckily, I mean, I was, I, I, I think I was a pretty good employee. So I usually got a ticket on the new bus, we'll, we'll say that much. But um, yeah, th- there was a, a, a bit of a period of time where, the, that landscape of the, you know, the biggest instrument franchise um, in Australia kind of went through some, some shaky times. And now there are other players, big players in that space. But um, yeah, I sort of, I suppose I got a bit of a reputation of being pretty good at my job. And, and uh, yeah, I enjoy, I did enjoy 
you know, been around uh, gear all day and um, even though it was a retail job, it was nice to be sort of in that space. Um, you could be selling and worse things, I suppose. That's it. And a lot of the, um, you know, that, that's the dream job for most musicians. If you're, you're working in a music retail shop and gigging at night, that's obviously one of the more desirable kind of career paths, or at least it was, you know, <laughs> from age like 18 all the way up to, to 25, uh, up until the music teaching took off. And it's, you know, a very viable option for a lot of people as well. Oh, absolutely. I, I think if you, you might get a lot of different answers <laughs> if you <laughs> ask that question to a lot of different people, but to be honest, yeah, I mean, um, it's definitely a great, you know, viable option for people, um, you know, who want to be able to sort of gig at night and um, work during the day. But then, of course, you gig on weekends and you work on weekends. And so it is a retail gig at the end of the day, but but it can have its advantages. Um, you know, cheap gear was definitely <laughs> cheap equipment was, you know, staff discount was definitely one of those things early on in the piece. But, yeah, it's been, it was definitely a bit of a journey for sure, but hell of a ride. Most definitely. Now, one of the cool things is obviously getting to touch and interact with and play with all the gear. And um, that's something which you know, I wanted to ask you about is obviously as musicians, we can often um, know our own uh, value and benefit of having really good gear, but communicating that to our students or their parents can be a bit of a challenge. So how important is it having good musical instruments and equipment to work with? How long did you say we have this podcast for? How long is this? <laughs> no, <Yeah>. I'm <laughs> trying to some twenty. I, I I spent twenty years just about trying to tell people the importance of having good instruments, and musical equipment. Look, in all seriousness, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's to be blunt, it's super important to have good um, gear, good equipment, good instruments. I mean, everyone sort of knows you, you get what you pay for. But sometimes what you can spend doesn't necessarily meet in the middle with what you would like, you know. Uh, and as teenagers, you know, we all wanted the great guitar, but our parents were probably reluctant to spend the money that that guitar was. So, you you know, you just sort of navigate as best you can to try and meet in the middle there somewhere. But I think it's always good to strive for the best possible gear that you can get. And it's also worth pointing out that not don't always strive for the best possible deal. Now, that's something we'll talk about a little bit later, but the best possible outcome is always subjective and situational. But I like to, the one thing that I sort of always said in my experience of retail was the more you spend now, the less you spend later. And to a lot of people, that may not necessarily make sense. And there'll be probably a lot of musicians who have lived for 20, you know, 30 years of their musical life and said, well, I probably find I'm spending more now, but I suppose it's justified. But in the early days, you know, to spend that little bit more to get that better guitar or amp or whatever it might be, you know, whether it be even a drum kit or a saxophone or it could be anything, it's going to mean that, you know, you're going to save a bit of money in terms of upgrading because at some point you are going to outgrow that instrument or that amp in which case you know the, the mathematics of it is you've spent the amount of money to get the first thing but then of course you outgrow that quickly so then you have to sort of essentially find the same amount of money you spent on the first one plus the money to go into the next sort of you know bracket or tier of of equipment you know in which case i guess if you can sort of make that initial jump straight away, 
you know, then essentially you haven't sort of spent that initial amount in the first place and you've already got a better instrument. And of course, having a better instrument to learn on has obvious advantages and that sort of stuff. So for me, um, that's a bit of a, that's the sort of, uh, I guess, the, the underlying reason as to why, you know, I think a lot of the time in my sales approach, I would use that analogy. But it's, I mean, yeah, it's, to me, it's, it should be obvious that having good gear is important for learning, you know, um, for a range, a multitude of reasons. But like I said at the start of that explanation, you know, what you can spend and what you want, is, <laughs> it's always two different yeah, things. Right? Always <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no I'm sure. And nose up against the glass cabinet, like, that's the one I want. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but, look, we'd, we'd all like to have a, you know, an acre block and two-story house, five bedrooms with the pool and the spa and all that sort of stuff that you can't always get that right particularly not in melbourne <laughs> yeah that's it oh, don't get started on that oh, that's, yeah, yeah real estate's a different topic <laughs> yeah, the, the whole other idea is you know you essentially want to get the best you can within your budget to avoid having to upgrade later and the last thing you want is your student going out and buying a piece of junk guitar and then you know not only does it make it harder to play it sucks the motivation out of it maybe even hurts their fingers and then if they do persevere with it you know, then you've got to upgrade them again in six months time or 12 months time. Whereas if you just go straight for the good one and you get that from the beginning, not only is it easier to play, which is going to make them sound better and feel better, they're going to pick it up way quicker and they're going to be motivated to pick it up. And, you know, the whole range of benefits that come with getting good gear that inspires you to pick it up more and facilitates great playing. And then, yeah, you either, you know, option A is you don't need to upgrade or option B is because you get so good and so involved in the hobby you end up just you know <laughs> 30 guitars like 30 years and 30 guitars later <laughs> you have quite the collection but absolutely yeah look um you don't you know <laughs> you don't want to know how many guitars i acquired in with staff discount being a an incentive <laughs> over the years but yeah look it's 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 really as simple as that the better the gear the easier it is to play the more the more you pick it up you know that should realistically be the 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 most important factor to buying um, equipment before the price, before, you know, what it looks like. Or um, we'll get into that later, of course, too. But, yeah, it's super – I couldn't – like I said, yeah, how long do you want me to talk about this for? That's the – you know, this is a very, very important part of the process that people overlook, I think. Yeah, and how do guitar teachers uh, pass on that, that knowledge to their parents? How do they persuade or advise the parents of their students to go out and invest in a good instrument or – the students themselves, if it's a bit of an older student who's like, oh, yeah, I'll go get a cheap guitar. Like, How do we educate them on this topic of you need good gear and, and you should invest a little bit more up front? Yeah, uh, it's, um, yeah, look, it's, this, it's, a, it's a bit of a $64,000 question, that one. Pretty much furthermore to what I said a little earlier about, you know, like upgrading over a period of time can be an expensive venture as opposed to, you know, sort of, stretching that little bit further to to probably make a bit more of a front of budget to kind of secure yourself something that's better in the long run you will definitely save a bit of money and and i suppose you know to answer your question you know how do we communicate that to parents well you know money is definitely a big factor for for parents of course i think it's look if if it's somebody say an older student as you mentioned you know it's a bit easier to explain to them the you know the, the advantage of investing in themselves and investing in the equipment I, I never really had a lot of 
trouble explaining that to people. Um, and like I said, you know, sometimes you just simply can't afford to go, you know, to the level that you'd like, but there's definitely a compromise or a middle ground that's, that's you know, a suitable option. Um, but when you explain to parents that, you know, making that jump initially can save a bit of money in the long term, I, I think more often than not that's enough to get them over the line to consider maybe maybe making a bit more of a jump to a better guitar or amp. And then, of course, I always used to say to them too, you know what, like if you spend more now, the less you spend later, probably by the time they're ready to get the next piece of gear, they've got their own job, <laughs> in which case <laughs> the parents go, hey, you know what, I never yeah. thought about like that. Yeah, <laughs> I did learn a thing or two over 20 years of selling. But, but yeah, so I guess to sum that up, that's probably the best way to kind of go. There are a few other sort of things too, but. Yeah, that that and actually, you know, given the fact that I used to be on that side of the fence as a sales assistant, and now I'm, you know, coming it from a music school teacher owner point of view, that that advice still hasn't changed. I, I I tell, you know, now I've just saved the sales assistant a bit of oxygen by kind of preparing the student, uh, you know, the teacher. Uh, sorry, the teacher, the parent, or the student before they go into the store. So, and one other thing I'll add to that too is you don't always have to start on an acoustic guitar. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Pair, I, that's a, like if there was one sort of little thing that we, I went out we to call it an injustice. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of an in, one thing. I one sort of record I I went out to set straight. I think initially from day one um, was that you don't always have to start on acoustic guitar because I actually did not start on an acoustic guitar. I I, I said to my parents, well, they said we're going to buy you a guitar. Um, we're going to get you an acoustic guitar, and I was like, you know what? Don't even bother. If it's acoustic. I'm not interested. If it's an electric, I'll learn. I'll be happy. And they were like, oh, no, but you've got, to, you've got to start an acoustic. And I was like, I don't think you do, to be honest. And I actually use this whole, if you get me an acoustic now, that's only going to become redundant, in which case then we're going to have to fork out for an electric and an amp. So from day dot, that I've, I've lived by that advice. So let me tell you, that's, you know, it's good advice. <laughs> yeah. 100%. And uh, yeah, I call that one the Father Christmas myth. It's like, oh, yeah, little Billy's like um, given up three activities already this year. Hey, all right, we don't want to buy an electric guitar. So they buy him like a, a total piece of junk acoustic from Aldi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love yeah, shopping yeah. at Aldi, but I'd never buy a guitar from them. And no, they, that's uh, right. <laughs> that's not where you, you, you get, take your bargains where they don't matter. And yeah, spend your money wisely where it matters because you do get what you pay for. That's one of the other things I like uh, saying. You get what you pay for at the end of the day with your equipment and your lessons. So make sure you invest in a quality teacher. And that's a, a line you guys can uh, pinch for yourselves as well. But I just say, yeah, there's this myth and misconception that. We'll start you off an acoustic, and if you practice all year, you still like it at the end of the year, then we'll invest a little bit more into upgrading you to an electric guitar. Whereas I'm like, well, do they listen to primarily electric-based music or acoustic-based music? If it's electric-based music, then let's get them straight on electric guitar because it'll be easier for them to play, especially because they don't have to squeeze as hard, the neck's a little bit thinner. Uh, it'll sound exactly like they want it to do. And once again, when they sound like their favorite artist and we just press a button and we have distortion, all of a sudden you've got your rock sound, that is so motivating and so inspirational for so many of your students of any age because it makes it feel and sound like the real thing so that's where starting on electric is an advantage over acoustic in many instances because you can make it sound exactly like the the real deal pretty much straight away even if they're just doing a single melody the other day i um 
you know, was trying to teach some six-year-olds how to do power chords and it wasn't quite working with half of them. I thought, oh, you know what? I'll just put the octave pedal on. And then I just set it down to a fifth and all of a sudden we had power chords off a single string, instant green day. So yeah. it was awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I beg I beg anybody to find me a better facial expression than watching a young person see the distortion switch go on for the first time. You know what I mean? Like they're sitting, listening to this clean guitar and then you hit that switch and then all of a sudden this sound comes out of the amplifier and they're just, their eyes just go, what the hell is this? It's, yeah, it's kind of, <laughs> there's a few. Yeah, not, not, not just children, it happens with 45-year-old so Absolutely well. <laughs> it does, yeah, totally, yeah, yeah. I've, you know, I've quite often heard you say a lot of the time, you know, we don't, we get older, but we don't necessarily grow up. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think, I think in terms of um, listening to loud music, that's definitely one of them, but it, it could be any, it could be any sound, you know. And that's a good little segue back to the, um, you know, how do you educate your students and your clients on getting good gear? When you're getting those, you know, 45 year old dad rockers who've always wanted to play guitar or tried it 20 years ago and had to give it up for whatever reason, sometimes you know, they've got money and they've got disposable income now. So you can send them down to the shop and they'll come back with a, you know, oh yeah, probably spend about 1200 bucks here. Maybe you've convinced me. And they come back with a $4,000 letter pull the next week and you're like, whoa, there we go. That shows they're committed. But sometimes, um, sometimes your clients don't know what to spend or how much to spend. And I think a bit of a discussion about price points saying, hey, you know, Holden or whatever car brand makes like a couple of different tiers, one for every budget, anything under $200, you're probably in the, uh, uh, this, I'm talking Australian here, but anything $200, you're very entry level, if not the junk level, 200 to 400, you got something okay, but you're probably better off going straight to 600 to 800. 800 to $1,200, that's your hobbies guitar sorted, unless you've got professional ambitions where you're going to be playing a fair bit. You don't really have to go past $1,200 unless, you know, you've got the money to burn or you do like really good gear and want to invest into it. And then, you know, anything above $1,200, uh, around about the $2,000 mark, that's where you've got the professional level stuff. And upwards of that, you're pretty much paying for brands or specific uh you know, promotional items, special edition things, or sometimes, you know, labor and things like that. And, you know, is the $1,200, sorry, the $2,000 Gibson and the $6,000 Gibson $4,000 different? Not really. They're probably like, you know, most of the time you're paying for the name and, and the, the edition, but 80% of the hardware is the same, just maybe a few different paint jobs and things like that. So, you know, you can definitely waste money uh, and go the other direction on guitars, which aren't going to translate instantly into playing. But, uh, you know, the age old question, well, we might throw this one your way out of nowhere. Uh, does buying a new guitar make you a better player, Simo? Ah, uh, wow. That's a great question. Now I'm just going to pause the interview for a second, guys, for a quick message from our wonderful sponsors at Music Notes. So teachers and students everywhere deserve a sheet music experience that impresses, and that's precisely what you get from MusicNotes.com, the largest online retailer of quality sheet music. Now it's all about the attention to detail with Music Notes because they're run by musicians for musicians. So Music Note hold every piece in their catalogs the highest standard for the best experience, whether it's in the practice room right up to the performance. Now, Music Notes has the perfect arrangement for every musician and every purchase is available right away. There's no shipping, they never run out of print, and the transcriptions are always available in the right key. So simply print from the Music Notes website or use the free Music Notes app to view your sheet music anywhere, anytime. And as an exclusive to our listeners, Music Notes are offering 25% off e-gift cards for a limited time only. So visit musicnotes.com topmusic to claim this very special exclusive offer and there's no code required. 
I'm going to say it does. I'm not going to say that you should go out and buy a new guitar every day to become a better guitar player every day. But I, I think, look, I think there are moments in time along your guitar playing journey where it's appropriate for you to go and purchase a guitar that's going to make you a better player. And I think that, um, you know, there are definitely guitars out there. Like you mentioned just a minute ago, the one thing that I noticed uh, from when I first started working in music retail to probably, you know, my sort of later days was this sort of shift happened where manufacturers started making guitars for every single dollar value that you could think of because they didn't want to miss out on a market opportunity, you know, so hence the reason why there is a 200 to $400 option. There is a 400 to $600 option. There is a, you know, once upon a time, a brand might've only had a, say a $300 option, and then it might sort of skip to like a seven or $800 option. And just with the way that I think possibly one of the greatest things to ever happen to, you know, music instruments was, um, was sort of China and, you know, potentially manufacturing guitars and things in those places, those places got better at manufacturing. Um, and as a result, you know, they were able to, you know, to be able to build guitars to price points, which made guitars more accessible. And as in turn, you know, we can get more guitars in, in hands. And I think that's a really important thing um, to happen. But, um, but yeah, I guess to answer the question, yeah, I, I, I think on some level, the answer to that question is yes. Purchasing a new guitar does make you a better player. I remember, you know, like I started on a uh, on a cheaper electric guitar. I couldn't tell you how much it was, but I bought something slightly better, and that got me to a point in time where I was, you know, a sort of younger, not quite eighteen, but maybe sixteen, seventeen. Start. I obviously had a job. I saved up all my money. I bought myself an Epiphone Les Paul, and that was like the first real guitar that I bought, twelve hundred dollars ish. And um, it made a huge difference in my journey and my playing. I would, you know, it, yeah, it really inspired me and really lit a fire, I think, underneath me to, you know, to go that next level. And then, of course, that turned into an American-made Fender Stratton. I could probably list the other, I'm not going to maybe say on air how many guitars I've got in case my wife's listening, but. Um, <laughs> yeah, just hold up fingers. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so. um yeah, it's it's a great question. Um, yeah. but I think the answer think is it's worth yeah. just tapping into something you mentioned there. Was you know it lit a fire under you, um, and that's the the key thing is obviously if you buy a better guitar, it facilitates better playing and buying different guitars. So if you don't have a twelve string and then you go out and buy a twelve string guitar or a seven string or something which allows you to do a couple of things you didn't, that promotes growth. And of course, as we said, a better guitar which is going to make things a little bit easier is going to help you become a better player. But the most important thing is the inspiration you get. So if you're playing an hour a day and then all of a sudden uh, you go out and buy a new guitar and you play it for three hours a day for the next two weeks, that promotes so much growth in your playing. And that growth, because it pays off so quickly because you're doing it so frequently, you know, all of a sudden you get this little boost and go, oh, hang on, I'm actually feeling better and, and playing better and sounding better. And then all of a sudden the wife or the girlfriend or you know whoever it is and you know, walks past the door and goes, oh, that sounds really good actually. And I think there's a really definitive moment with most learners where either the, you know, someone else in the household goes, Oh, hang on. That actually sounds really good. Or hang on. Are you playing this song? And that can be a huge point when someone, you know, 
finally goes, oh, they, they recognize a song or I've got my first compliment or things like that. And often getting that new guitar, which uh, promotes that first little spark of motivation to pick it up a lot more can be the catalyst in in causing that to happen. So yeah, as you said, do we should we go out and buy a new guitar every week to try and use that as a way to get better? You know, probably not, but if you're intermittently rewarding yourself with a new guitar or every now and then you upgrade or, you know, if, if you've got money to collect guitars and that's your thing, I always say, uh, what's the equation? Something like um, however many pairs of shoes your wife has, you divide by, uh, divide by six and multiply by four or something like that. And that's how many guitars you're allowed to have or something like that. Um, but yeah, if you're, if buying guitars is the thing that motivates you and you always get a big boost immediately after doing one, you know, <laughs> as long as you can pay your rent and feed your children and clothe yourself and pay your bills and you've got cream on top to spend on guitars, go for it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the other important stakeholder that you might have missed in that list of people are parents too. You know, if parents can walk past a bedroom and hear something like and go, holy hell, that sounds great. Like, I can't believe that's my kid doing that in there. You know, then of course, it should be an opportunity to be there. All right, well, like, we should really try to invest in this as much as possible. Because there's not many people on the planet, unlike teenagers, who they've got the most amount of free time to practice guitar. Teenagers, if you're listening to this, it never gets any easier to play guitar at your age because as soon as you finish school, you have responsibilities. And it goes out. I have my teenage students all the time say, oh, man, I can't wait to finish school. And I remind them, I say, a lot of them haven't seen Billy Madison. <laughs> but yeah. I remind them of that Billy Madison quote, you know, don't ever say that again. You, you don't understand what it's like <laughs> when you leave school. So if we can put better instruments in the hands of teenagers when they have all that disposable time to sit and play for hours on end, goodness me, we, I think we'd have some, some really, really great guitar players um, at younger ages. Um, be a different place, I think, different landscape. Be interesting times, of course, but yeah, if you know, if that's even one to extend of- that back to kids and say, if we put some more electric guitars in the hands of kids and got them playing what they liked as opposed to, and this isn't a knock on, um, on classical music or anything like that, um, but so many people are really out of touch with what their teachers are playing them or they just want to rock or just want to shred and they're being forced to sight read and do all those kind of things. But if you can put electric guitars in their hands or get them playing along to pop and contemporary music and ignite that spark of inspiration so much earlier on in the process, you know, we don't want them persevering for six years, then becoming teenagers, then getting to electric guitar and then, you know, hitting the woodshed kind of thing. If we can get that happening very, very early on in the process because students fall in love with it, it can be an absolute game changer for your students and the parents and the family and you know we we create a a worldwide kick-on effect because of that absolutely yeah and look i mean i suppose yeah you know definitely not a knock on classical guitar or nylon string guitars or acoustic guitars or anything like that but just sheerly from a point of view of like electric guitars are you know they're actually kinder for smaller bodies you know that like you know for kids that is you don't have to put your arms all the way around it and the tension of the strings, you know, it's actually easier to play an electric guitar. And I, I my like, there's not many of my students who don't own an electric guitar. They have acoustics as well for the sound and the, you know, the functionality that that instrument brings. But they come to lessons with an electric guitar because it's easier to play. Um, it's it's much more comfortable to sit with whilst they're learning. And once you've got those skills, then you can adapt to, you know, a different. Um, instruments, guitars, whatever that might be, right? So, um, yeah, I, I guess I suppose we don't want to sort of 
bash on the acoustic guitar thing too much, but um, but yeah, the like it should be more accepted as a place to start than what it is in a simple matter. Yeah, and I think if the price point was the same, we'd find a huge number of people swapping to electric. Um, but speaking of gear, uh, what are some essential music equipment items and gear items that teachers should have in their studio? Because you obviously sell to consumers as a general. What are some of the things you'd be recommending other teachers have in their studios, either for themselves or to use with their students? I, I, yeah, look, it's a great question. I think a lot of it depends situationally, you know, what the what type of school or academy you might be you know, working in the students, the, the location of such a thing. I, I like, I guess the basic sort of stuff like, you know, music stands and nice, comfortable um, stools. I, I actually recommend drum stools um, for music teachers. I use drum stools because they, a lot of them can be easily adjustable. You can get ones that are on like a screw thread that you just, you know, you turn the top of the, um, the stool to adjust it to the height because I teach adults and I teach teenagers and I teach kids and they're different heights. So that's an easy way to um, make it more comfortable. They are going to sit in it for an hour. So you do want to make them feel comfortable when they're there. Um, so drum stools are a great one that I think a lot of people overlook. Of course, you've got music stands, you've got footstools, that sort of stuff. But I suppose if you're teaching electric guitar, having great little practice amps um, is probably non-negotiable um you want to make the experience i i listened to the podcast you did with the, the guy at stanton island and what's the oh, i can't remember his name stanton island school of music oh not mike grande mike, yeah mike yeah, that's rock out loud? yeah 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 rock out loud yeah yeah that guy and that was a fascinating um if you haven't listened to that go and listen to that because what i'm about to say definitely um backs on to what mike was saying and uh, that is you've got to make the experience something special when they go there. So if you're teaching electric guitar, you know, have great little practice amps. You don't have to, they're not expensive these days, you know, like a couple of hundred dollars can get you a great sounding practice amp. And, you know, and then you can show the parents that this little unit that sounds so fantastic that the student loves is only a couple of hundred dollars. Like it, you know, it all starts somewhere and I think that um, that's a great opportunity to do that. But, yeah, good good amps. Um, I guess, I don't know, and, like great oh, I'll just jump in there. And the fact that, like, um, you know, your three biggest companies for amps are within that kind of studio practice amp size kind of things, your Line 6, your Blackstar and your uh, Boss, you know, they're all just trying to outcompete each other. So just keep putting bigger and uh, better features into smaller and smaller amps that are uh, increasingly less of a price and like uh, i was telling someone the other day like uh it was either 2008 or 2009 i bought like the top of the range line six for about two thousand bucks it was like a it was it was an awesome amp but that same thing is now down to you know 250 300 bucks uh with the upgraded software and technology and it's gone from yeah literally what what used to cost you two grand 10 years ago or just over is literally a 250 300 thing so it's like oh man like in one in one way it hurts so much to see uh, and even the fact that you know what you can get at home for a thousand dollars and record in your bedroom sounds better than what a two hundred thousand dollar recording studio back in the the 60s 70s 80s used to cost to set up so 
the the change in the technology and the evolution of the technology and the hardware and the equipment is absolutely mind-blowing and it's you know never been a better time to be a guitar player in terms of the kind of gear you have access to couldn't agree more and um i i actually think i'm just going to go back a little bit but i'm I might, I've got a sneaking suspicion I might have sold you that line 6M in 2009. Anyway. Yeah, um, I think that was just before your time, that one. You did sell me a very, very good angle amp and, yeah, that's a ripper. I still got that one there. The um, But to go back to what your point about um, the practice amps, man, yeah, the technologies since I started, like since 2009, goodness me, the things that, you know, the sounds and the sort of stuff you can get now even has changed a lot, but it was massive back then. I remember the music shop in Wagga seeing those little practice amps for the first time where they were emulating classic sounds and stuff like that. And they were probably a little bit more expensive, but of course, after that, they all started to get manufactured in places where they could make them more affordable. And then you combine that with the technology and the competition and what you have is, yeah, essentially a, a great resource for um for young beginning guitar players or any guitar player that that's starting out to to get access to great sounds for not a lot of money i mean you know they're all competing it like just like with the guitars they're all making them for those price points so i 200 amps back when i started learning guitar like they 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 wouldn't even compare to the sorts of things you could buy for 200 now you know, and, yeah. and I mean, quite what, honestly, what we used to get for 200 bucks, you could probably make in, in like electronics class. With, yeah, with, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> with yeah. A box and a speaker and a little bit of circuitry. <laughs> but the thing, quite honestly, too, when I was talking at the top of the podcast about the fact that, you know, investing early, if you bought, bought yourself a really good $200 bedroom practice amp, quite honestly, that thing could last you a lifetime. You may never, ever have to buy another good because it's going to be, you know, it's going to give you a range of sounds. It's, I mean, for example, I've got thousands of dollars of amplifiers stashed away. I hope my wife's still not listening to this part of the episode, but I do. But I guarantee you the one thing that I plug into nearly every day is my three, $400, you know, bedroom practice amp because it's, it's, it's always there. It's convenient. It's easy. It's got lots of sounds. It sounds great. It inspires me. Um, and it's ironic, you know what I mean? The only time I use my other amplifiers is when I go and play in venues, you know, and I need specific tonal characteristics. But, yeah, I tell that to students and, you know, I think for $200 now you could have an amp that lasts your lifetime as opposed to getting something that, you know, is not and then having to spring for more later on down the track. And it's only power really that um, that you need to spend more money on later when you need to be louder, you know, if you competing against drum kits and things like that yeah yeah and full disclosure um i'm an official uh line six licensee and i use my helix uh, and the new power cab for almost everything but i think there's a new amp coming out called the catalyst and it's pretty much the same technology but in you know so instead of paying two thousand dollars for a helix you're going to get the same technology or a a certain amount of it uh scaled down to a a bedroom practice amp and that's i think priced about 400 bucks and i am first on the queue to get one of those i cannot wait to get me one of them and the only difference is i'll have to flick one switch instead of two and it will be you know one unit in combo rather than two separate units I'm, i'm like I'm so excited about it. It's not going to be, or it potentially might be better. Um, I haven't actually looked all that much into it. I just saw the picture and said, that looked pretty cool. 400 bucks. Wow, that is really, really kind of cool. And it sort of 
has all the stuff, which again, they put in the tone modeling now, scaled down to a combo amplifier. So I'm like, mm, I'm gonna get one for me and maybe another eight for the studio to set up. So <laughs> that's, that's how it goes. And uh, to be honest, man, I, uh, I am a bit of a Lion 6 nerd geek fanboy. Um, and I have, I, they never cease to amaze me um, with the sort of, and I actually have no affiliation with Line 6 for full disclosure either, but um, I'll never forget the first time I ever saw a Line 6 amp and the sort of things that it did. And I was obsessed and I bought a, a Pod XT Live for all those other not Line 6 nerds out there, or a Pod XT Live and just thought, wow, like this, the stuff that this thing can do and the functionality that I can get out of it and the sounds and yeah, and I've, I was hooked ever since. And you know, part of our friendship um, when we did our big trip was, as you may remember, we actually went to the Line 6 factory and it was a whole, like, what we thought was cool with just the gear itself, when we actually saw the sort of stuff that goes on behind the scenes and how they make that and how that technology really is um, first class. And to be honest, there's, you know, other co- like companies like Boss and Blackstar are doing similar things, but Line 6 were really the pioneers, I feel, of that whole space. And they're the ones that possibly change the game forever and going to uh, HQ and, you know, sort of behind the, behind the scenes to see that stuff. Um, those like scientists kind of nerd dudes like working on, yeah, it was great. It was a great experience, but yeah, it's really changed the game. Yeah. I'll have to see if we can dig up some photos to put on the post about, uh, about this episode as well, because it was a really, really cool, out of all the factories, I think we went to about nine different guitar factories around about LA back in 2015. And uh, that one was my number one. And I think Schecter, uh, like back in then, I, I, I just thought Schecter's were, uh, I don't want to trash out their brand, but I don't think many people thought much of Schecter's from 2005 to 2010. And then when I went to the factory in 2015, I was like, man, out of all the factories we've been to, guitar specifically, this is hands down the best one. And they've completely turned around their quality and and making everything. Um, but I'll stop talking about gear because uh, we do have a couple of other questions we want to get to. But in terms of um, how to get good deals, how can a, a music teacher build a relationship with a, a local store and, and you know, go into bat for their students and, and take care of all parties involved? Sure. So there's, a, there's from the very, very top, the two words that I'll start with are be nice. Manners will get you a long way. Um, and, you know, retail staff go through a lot. They definitely do. It's, it's a known fact. Um, there are even advertisements on TV, like, you know, public service announcements about like treating, you know, retail workers with respect. So you, you never know what that person's experienced that day. So being nice will get you a very long way straight off the bat. That's my piece of advice. Number one. Secondly, you want to build a relationship. It's all about building a relationship. I actually think that um, finding a great, um, you know, music shop sales assistant is just like having a good mechanic. A lot of people don't know anything about cars. They need them, right? And, and of course, I'm using this analogy because it's much more relatable to, a, you know, to everybody who, ha- I mean, who... Most people have a car, right? So, you know, something goes wrong with your car, you take down the mechanic. If you if he's a good mechanic and you trust him, you know that like he's going to look after you because you're he's you're loyal to him, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. 
you know, people get nervous about taking their cars because they don't know if the mechanic's going to fleece them and he's going to give them all this jargon and all this sort of stuff to whatever. So, um, you know, building a great relationship with somebody in a music shop um, definitely has a similar sort of validity to the mechanic. You know, I, for me personally, when I've found a great mechanic, they're like gold. I, 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 I you know, I get nervous about moving house because I'm going to have to find a new mechanic, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's the same with, it should, I think there's a, a lot of parallels there with, um, with music shop um, guys. So, you know, I, I um, I've met some fantastic people. Some of my customers ended up becoming great friends, you know, because um, I guess there was a lot of trust in me and, and you have to sort of respect that trust as a sales assistant too, to sort of go, you know, it's about making sure you get the right thing that's right for you, you know, um, really catering to that. I think a lot of other people have this sort of stigma thinking that music shop guys might be like car salesmen and things like that, which is complete, couldn't, couldn't be any further from it. But uh, yeah, being nice, firstly, you know, do the best you can to build a relationship and try to, you know, find that person that you can trust their, you know, their advice and their opinion of. I actually looked up the definition of a deal and for all those playing along at home, the definition is an agreement entered into by two or more parties for their mutual benefit, especially in a business or political context. Now, how does that re- relate to what we're talking about here? The sales guy is always going to be um, trying to get you the best. He's going to do his job by selling you gear, right? He needs to put money in the till that to justify his employment. But the one thing he doesn't want to do is he doesn't want to have to necessarily, or I know for me personally, I didn't want to have to sort of deal with people coming back with things and being like, oh, this doesn't do what I want it to do and all that sort of stuff. So if you build that trust with that person and that person understands you and you understand them, that, you know, that definitely saves time for both of you, you know, and I think that's a really important thing in terms of, you know, the money that's spent at that, at that point in time as well, Um but I, I, I used to, you know, I used to be of the opinion that I would make sure that whatever item I was selling to a customer, that they knew that this was my, you know, with all my expertise and advice, that this was the best thing for them. And if they wanted to do differently, then that was that was up to them. But I think if you, um, as a sales assistant, if you have that um, sort of ethos about you, then you know, you're going to have great customers and great customers, you know, equals, you know, spending money with you. So, so it, like I said, that with the definition there, it's a, it's a two-way street, right? But um, yeah, the best way to go about having, you know, both parties interested in the deal front is making sure that you have a great um, relationship with, um, you know, your music shop. So be nice, build a good relationship with someone. And a good deal is all about perception. You know, but it's not always they're gonna they're gonna look after you as best they can. And if you if you get great service, to me, that's a good deal. You know, um, advice can be priceless. So, you know, do with that what you will. But I think, yeah, good music shops are like good mechanics. If you find one, hang on to them, they'll look after you too. And of course, in turn, you'll look after them. Fantastic advice there. Now, unfortunately, and I feel like I could talk for, you know, another hour, but we do have to wrap things up here. So, Simo, if you could impart one final bit of advice. Now, this could be guitar playing advice. It could be teaching advice. It could be, again, music retail advice. What's one last bit of wisdom you can impart on our listeners today? 
Um, yeah, I can't believe that time has actually gone as quickly as it has. And there's definitely more I would like to talk to you about on this subject. But um, to leave you with something today, I actually think I've been thinking about this a lot recently. I was talking to a uh, Luthier um, and I've been talking to a few other people and I, I really feel like as sort of teachers and um, music shops, if you're listening to this, I feel like we need to all do better to help cultivate the next generation, you know, where I think everybody's losing a battle to the internet, right? Um, just, you know, teachers themselves are losing a battle to the internet somewhat. Music instrument retailers are definitely losing a battle to the internet as well. But I feel like we need to do better to try to, to, try to cultivate that. So those experiences, just like Mike touched on when he talked about building the experience in the school, it should definitely be the same thing for the music store because it is the candy shop that every kid wants to go to when they've discovered the sweet taste of those lollies, right? <laughs> And I think that, yeah, that it's, uh, and I, I could even go into more detail about that, but just sort of music teachers helping, uh, building relationships and, and sort of allegiances with music shops and having music shops help music teachers is only going to benefit both of those people because ultimately it's a long-term game, right? We know that learning music takes time and also, um, as businesses, you know, returning customers over long periods of time are definitely profitable, um, as, you know, aspects. So if we can both do our best to make sure that we can, you know, empower each other to try to help build, you know, students that are in this for the long term, well, that means that they're going to be wanting to learn for longer periods of time, which means they're going to want to be buying gear for longer periods of time and the value of that gear is going to go up the more they do it. And it's just, it's a, it's a never ending cycle of feeding this ecosystem. You know what I mean? Of, of, um, and, and I, I, I feel like the whole game is disconnected, you know, between the internet and my mate told me this and I went to the music shop and they said that and my teacher told me this, it's like, no, there's too much noise, you know, and there's too much information and we need to sort of, we need to listen to it all of, as best we can, but we, we definitely need to try to cultivate it for the benefit of the student. You know, the music shop and the music teacher are the harmony. The students are the melodies to which we dance upon. That is the line I will finish you with. <laughs> oh, we're not even going to dare follow that up with anything. That was awesome. Um, but, yeah, a very valuable thing to consider, the fact that, hey, if there was no music shops, you wouldn't have anyone being able to buy guitars and then come to you for lessons. And if we as teachers, once the music shop send us some students, if we can train them up good, get them to the point where they want to buy that next guitar or they go and play for a bunch of people and inspire other friends and family members or little cousins or things like that to, uh, you know, go pick up their instruments and get started. It is, as you said, it's reciprocal. It's uh, symbiotic. You got different things living in harmony with each other. And, you know, we get to be the catalyst. And that's, again, tying into what we're doing here at Top Music is trying to educate the teachers to do a better job. And I think 
a lot of people listening today can uh, you know have a, a lot to think about in terms of building that relationship with their local music school and helping educate their students on better equipment or they themselves going out investing into more gear so they can create that awesome experience. But Simo, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Top Music Guitar podcast. Really looking forward to the next episode because we'll definitely have you back at some point in the future for sure. And uh, thanks again for joining us. Awesome. It's uh, been truly, yeah, it's truly been a pleasure chatting today. Um, I genuinely look forward to our next conversation. I'd love to come back and talk more about this because, I, like I said, I, I think it's a, a huge opportunity for both parties. And as a result, all we get is more musicians and what a, what a better place the world would be if that was the case. So, yeah, thanks for having me today, Michael. Really appreciate it. And to all our listeners, thank you once again for tuning in and we'll see you in the next episode. If you enjoy this show and want to hear more of our work, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. For links and resources mentioned in this episode, including a free ebook on how to find more guitar students, visit us at www.topmusic.co slash guitar or check out the show notes. And lastly, thanks again for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.